happy Easter indeed. You guys doing well? Such a good day. So good to have you guys here. I want to I tell you a story, and it's a story about a, a group of um, below average men. There's about 12 of them, but at this point in time, there's probably only eight locked up in a room, and uh, they experience really the impossible. And at the, at the point of this story, their favorite character, their leader, their teacher, the one that they put everything invested into had died. Now, in most movies and most stories that you listen to, read, and watch, that's the end of anybody's story, but not this one. What happened next with the main character was absolutely impossible and remarkable, for sure. And there was a group of individuals called disciples that experienced Jesus' resurrection from the dead on the third day firsthand. And I want to tell you about that story. And it comes from uh, the book of John. John was one of the closest people to Jesus, went everywhere with him, and actually wrote down most of what he said and what he saw in 21 chapters. And what I want to do is, is actually go to chapter 20. If you want to put that up on the screen, I want to go to chapter 20 of the book of John. And I want to read a particular section that is, is mind-blowing. It's crazy the context the disciples were in at this particular time. But you can't really just skip to 20 if you don't know the context of the first 19 chapters. So what I want to do is verbally tell you and explain chronologically all the way through when Jesus first arrives on the scene and gathers these average people up and then, and then make us way to chapter 20 and then open up the Bible and actually read the account that should change everyone's life today, not just the disciples. So are you ready for this? At the very, very beginning, I want you to imagine yourself much like Peter and Andrew. They were at work. They were just doing their trade that they had seen their father do for years. And at a young age, probably like eight, nine, or ten, they probably started to help out doing the family trade. They started fishing, mending nets, going out into the boat, coming back in, going out, catching fish, cleaning, going out, eating, and smelling a whole lot like fish, probably to the point where they didn't really even care. They just probably didn't even shower. Their life was so mundane, so traditional, so monotonous. Anybody relate? That it was the same thing every single day, same thing every single day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Month after month, year after year. And at this point in time, they're probably like 20 years old. They're old in the context of finding a new vocation. I mean, in this day and age, it would be like trying to go out in a new career adventure by the age of like 50 or 60. You're like, this is probably not your ideal time to go out looking for a ne next job. And so Peter and Andrew find themselves in boredom, in the doldrums fishing with nets, the same scene, same fishing boat, same area, same father, same employees as he has for years. And this rabbi, teacher, from a distance comes by and says two words that radically transform everything for them. And all he says is, follow me. Now in the context and the culture of the day, what Jesus was giving them is a change and a shift in vocation. You want to really see if your life is worth living? You want to really live it on purpose? You really want to know your identity? You really want to put your hands to work? Follow me. What Jesus was in essence saying is, I want you to follow me and make me the center of everything you do. From the moment you wake up to when you go to, to school, when you study, when you talk to people, when you interact, I want you to serve men so you can actually teach them what I'm going to teach you. 
And, and the thing is, he does this with these two, and then he adds on a few more, and he just says, follow, follow me to make me the center of your life. It's as if Jesus was to come to your work today and not necessarily rip you out of it, but come in the midst of your work, your nine to five, your 50, 60, some less, some more hours that you're putting in every week. Jesus was to show up and say, what would it look like for you to put me the center of these hours? You work a lot. What would it look like if you put me in the center, if I just stayed here the whole time? And you were aware of God's presence. You were aware of the Holy Spirit. You were aware of what God's doing in and around people. How would it change the way you see employees? How would it change and shift the way you see your coworkers? How would it change the way you respond to emails? How would it shift the way you talk to your boss? Would it? It should. Because God is the creator of human and earth, everything in heaven and below. And if God's there, he says, follow me in everything I do, because I don't want you just to go to work. I don't want you to just come to church on Easter every once in a while. I want to be the center of your life. Every single thing that you do, I want to be invited into, because God doesn't want any part of your life that's locked away from the influence of God. Come on, somebody, you catching this? God doesn't want any area of your life, any area of your heart, your soul, your calendar, your mind, your thought process, your past, present, and future. God doesn't want any part of you locked away, away from the influence and the power of God. He wants to be Lord over every single area. He wants to be God over every single area. God wants you to unlock the parts that you have been wounded, where you have pain, where you have need of healing, where you have things in the past that just seem too big. God says, just like he did to Peter and Andrew, I want you to unlock those places that you have locked up so that you can give me influence because I want to be God over that area of your life too. And he does this with the disciples and he gathers 12 of them at this point in time and he keeps telling them, guys, this is amazing. I wanna tell you all about how to truly live and if, and if you're gonna do that, you're gonna have to do this and he's, gonna, he's teaching here and he's giving parables and every single time he correlates it to this word kingdom. This is what it's like in my kingdom. This is what it's like in my kingdom. Man, this is what it's like in my kingdom. And the guys are like, what do you mean? What do you mean your kingdom? Like, you're here, and this is definitely not a kingdom, right? I've seen this area before. There's a fishing dock. There's my father's house. This is not a kingdom, right? It's a ragtag valley, if anything. And Jesus says, yes, but where I come from, my domain, where I am king, I want to come. Are you catching this? Come on, somebody. And then, and then so what he does is much like what we do whenever we go on vacation. Have you ever been there? Like you just stock up and load up your phone with all kinds of pictures whenever you go on vacation. You take pictures of everything. You get on an island where you get away from work and away from everything else and you take vacation. And then, and then you get to that point where you just, you just, finally, I'm on vacation and I'm truly living. Come on, somebody. You're dreaming about a vacation right now, aren't you? I can see it in your eyes. You're like, there is no work to be in sight. I am so tempted to take my phone, and if I didn't have to take pictures, I'd throw it right into the sea. No more emails, no more ding, oh, you know, like none of that's just vacation. And what, what happens when you come back on that vacation? Well, you gladly go to work. You wanna know why? Because now you get to rub it into everybody else's faces where you've been. Check out this tan. <laughs> you don't have one of those. This is what I was looking at. What were you looking at? Oh, a computer screen. <laughs> you know, like you just let them know where you were. Come on, you know where I'm going with this and where they stayed. 
That's exactly what God did. Jesus came down and was like, listen, you need to take note. I was in a place and it was like paradise. Let me tell you about it. This is the way the people react. This is how they talk to one another. If you want to be first there, you got to be last here. If you want to grab a hold of everything in my kingdom, you got to let go of everything here. Are you catching this? And the disciples are like, no, actually. Can you explain that again? He's like, okay, look, anybody have a coin? Yeah, I got a coin. We know about currency and money. Okay, the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a coin, and he goes on to describe it. And then they walk a little bit further, and like a day or a week later, he says, okay, look, there's a vine. Are you familiar with wine and grapes? Yeah, yeah, we got that. Okay, let me tell you, the kingdom of God is much like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, really, <laughs> I don't really get that one. And so he's telling them about heaven. But do you ever know? That whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom, talks about heaven, he never talks about the new colors you're going to experience. He doesn't talk about the new bodies that you're going to have. He doesn't talk about the food that you're going to taste, which is going to be amazing, right? He, he doesn't talk about either floating or getting wings. He talks about the king. He talks about the one that makes heaven worthwhile. He talks about God. Guys, you got to go there. There is a father in heaven who's made a way for you. He's there. His presence is amazing. And it takes great, listen to this, it takes great faith to believe that you can actually go up to heaven by putting faith in Jesus. But it takes greater faith to believe and bring down heaven to earth. Come on, somebody. It takes great faith, I'm going to say that again, to actually believe and put your faith in Jesus to go up to heaven one day, starting now, lasting for eternity. But it takes greater faith to believe that God can actually bring heaven down and transform your life. And that's exactly what God wants to do. And that's how he teaches us to pray. My kingdom come, my will be done right here on earth in your life, in your personal area of influence, in your work, in your marriage. Recognize and see what is dead so that I can bring it back to life. And he keeps talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And then to some, he actually just, just narrows it down. He goes, hey, to you over there, yeah, you, you in the pink shirt, yeah, the kingdom of God is near. But then he goes on a day or so later, you in the blue shirt, you, yeah, good conversation. The kingdom of God is close. Everyone's looking at my color shirt. Is he talking to me? And then, but he comes over here and he goes, you who can deal with your own life, deal with your own problems, you're so prideful, you're independent, you don't need anybody's help, the kingdom of God is far from you. Are you catching this? Jesus speaks for three years on the availability of the kingdom. He says it's open to everyone, but the way he's determining the availability is based on the condition of your soul. If you think you're too good for God, God's like, I wish it wasn't so, but what I have to offer is very far from you. You're so prideful. The first here will be last in my kingdom. It's your choice. Exalt yourself now. Make a name for yourself. You know, get your own money. Make sure your retirement's set. Or I can take care of all that and you can put me first. And later, I'll exalt you. It's your choice. And Jesus goes on for three years speaking these things. And the disciples are like, man, I'm trying to get my head around this idea. It's like, it's I ask a question to the great teacher. I ask a question to Jesus. And, and Jesus then asks me a question that just gets me thinking. And I'm thinking, Phew. it's like philosophy course, critical thinking all over again in college. It's like having Jesus as your professor. And, hey, what do you think about that? Yeah, this. What? 
You know, have you ever done that? You ever been in, in school and you're just thinking, man, some of this stuff is just, it literally, I think it, it literally just changes the way you think. That's what God wants to do. He wants to renew your mind. He says, imagine my kingdom actually coming down and changing your atmosphere, changing your place of influence. Imagine what would happen if your marriage was shifted because heaven was all around it and your culture was like home. It was filled with grace and love. But that's not as great of a miracle as first God changing the way you think. And what he fills your heart with. Come on, somebody, you catching this? It's more difficult to allow God to change you and to come in your rigid and tradition and ritual way of thinking to change you way before he starts changing everything else around you. And that's what we want. We want God's kingdom to come. We truly do. We want him to actually do the things that he calls us to do. And throughout the time that God talks about his kingdom, he continues to change the minds and the people around him. And he says, if you start to see me properly, you see yourself properly. If you see yourself properly, you'll start to see other people properly. You catching this? Let me say that one more time and I'll explain. If you start to see God properly, you start to see yourself properly. If you see yourself properly, then you'll rightly look at other people. Because here's the thing, he goes, if, if you get a better biblical, more sound image of who God is, and, and you know the great I am, you actually know who I am. Then, from the current condition that literally changes more grace, more love, more of God's presence, and more of his word, more of his truth, more of his principles, more of heaven, and more of Jesus comes down, then you start to see other people, ah, as they are. But the thing is, we don't see other people as they are. We see them as we are. You catching this? We don't tend to see circumstances as they are. We tend to blow them up because it's based on the condition of our soul. Come on, somebody. You catching this? We view in our perspective about all of life based upon what's going on all up in here. And sometimes the most troubling place to be is all up in here. Nobody agrees. What about you guys? You guys, sometimes the most troubling place, that, come on somebody, like you can just be your own worst enemy. And that's exactly what God wants to do. He says, what if I change the way you think? And then that gets deep inside your heart and your soul. Then you start to speak to other people. Then you start coming underneath them and serving. Then you start speaking to them like they're actually loving and worthwhile. Then my kingdom has come to you. It is near. Are you catching this? It is available. And Jesus was like, man, this is what you guys have been waiting for. We're learning about who God is, seeing God's kingdom become available, renewing our mind, opening up hearts, setting the captives free, the blind eyes are open, the lame walk. And then all of a sudden, on the verge of the disciples, thinking, I get it. Jesus is gone. Arrested. And matters go from bad to worse. And they bring him up to the high priests and then to the governor. And then the crowd say, crucify him. And then they, they beat him. They flog him. They torture him. They whip him. They spit on him. They hit on him. They speak to him. Strip his clothes. Auction him off. All while the disciples stay at a distance. Can you imagine what the disciples were feeling at this point in time? I mean, they gave everything to follow Jesus, and now he's nowhere to be found. And they just killed him. Jesus, on the cross, gives up his last breath by saying, it is finished, and then he dies. And the disciples are just left there. 
Now what do we do? Like literally, what, like, what do we do? Have you ever been there? Have you ever, have you ever looked to your future and just be like, man, I, I've got great plans. I know what's gonna happen. There's a new chapter and then everything falls apart. You ever been there? You ever, you ever bank yourself on, okay, this is the relationship that's really gonna change and then all of a sudden you think, oh, it just stops. Have you ever gotten to the point where you just start praying because you just feel like that's the last resort? You start praying and praying and praying and you just, you just feel like God's gone. Like he just got arrested. He's nowhere to be found. Like have you ever maybe started Christianity and said, okay, I'm gonna sign up. I'm gonna pray this prayer. I'm gonna start to go to church. It just didn't work out for me. Like I just feel like God wasn't there. Maybe he is for you, but he's not for, for me. Have you ever just opened up the word and the Bible because I guess you're supposed to and just start reading and be like, this doesn't make sense to me. I, just, I, just, I don't know why, I just don't get it. You ever been there? You just feel lost? You ever feel like you're surrounded by so many people and your social media accounts are doing well, but you feel isolated and alone? Come on, these, these are like the same things that the disciples were feeling at this point in time. What, what do we do? Jesus is gone. Three days pass by, and then morning comes. And he raises himself from the dead. He is risen. And, and then two disciples catch wind. They run. They go to the tomb. Sure enough, it's open. They peek in, empty. All the rest of the disciples haven't seen it yet. Isn't it amazing what God does? This is absolutely climactic. This is the biggest moment in all of God's history. He builds an Old Testament that points up to the main character of Jesus. He allows Jesus to live this perfect life for a substitute for you and me. And then he dies on the cross. And the biggest, most proud moment of heaven is almost like a silent issue. Do you know how many people witnessed the resurrection? Not a whole lot. You want to know why? It's because it's a picture of who God is. God's not into the fancy. He's not into the flourish. He's not into the show. He's not into the pizzazz. He's into coming in silently and in hidden places of your heart and doing the greatest work when no one is looking. So much so that you start to think, did that that actually happen? Am I really banking my life off of a God that's invisible, that wrote a book and gives me the Holy Spirit? and it's coming back one day on a white horse, is that really the story? Because every logical part of my brain says that doesn't make sense. But everything in my heart and my soul says that's what I'm clinging to. Because he's the creator of all things. He raised himself up from the dead. Two of the disciples discover it. All the rest of them are bound up in a house. Now, you guys ready to check out John chapter 20? This is what it says. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked. Somebody say locked. The doors were locked where the disciples were because they were in fear of the Jews. Jesus came in the locked building, stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now the thing is, once you're pretty like consistent about walking through walls, the first thing you probably need to say is peace. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like that just freaks some people out. And then after he said that, he showed them his hands and his sides and the disciples were glad, probably freaked out at the same time. And then, then Jesus said again, peace be with you. Why? Because they're probably still freaking out. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is awesome. No, no, peace. Calm down, calm down. Peace be with you. Jesus said to them, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. As if to say, why are you guys all locked up in a building like you're in prison? I'm sending you, why settle? Why stay? 
Why just be here? Why limit your experience to who God is just based on church? Come on, somebody. I mean, the idea is that, well, maybe we'll go to church like once a year, maybe for Easter, maybe for Christmas, and then just get my portrait or my dose of some Jesus and just get my quota for the whole year and just feel like a good person. And God says, I didn't send my son to die on the cross to take your place and to raise from the dead and put the Holy Spirit inside you just so you can be comfortable, locked up in your own home, locked up in your own schedule and not giving me access to everything. God says, I've got so much more for you than just to come to church every once in a while and think that you want to be a nice person. The destiny and the calling of your life goes way beyond and deeper than anything we can imagine. And when we start to focus on ourselves, we start to die. When we focus on more about this is my life, this is my idea, this is where I'm going to build everything, then all of a sudden your soul just starts to deteriorate. But when we fix our eyes on God, he sends us, putting us in places in which we depend solely on God. And then after he said that, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. He goes, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you to do the things that I'm calling you to. Amen? Anybody want some power? Anybody want to live a life on purpose? Anybody want to live a life that's powerful? Anybody want to live a life that actually is following and obedient to who Jesus is? They get filled up with the Holy Spirit and just say, God, breathe on me because I need your power to read your word. I need your power to see my wife. I need your power to do my life. I need power so that I can actually go work and not just come to church but go and be the church. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with Jesus in the other crowd. So the other disciples came in. Thomas, guess what? We have seen him. But Thomas said, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails, place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. You ever feel like that? Just doubting critical and nothing works out for me maybe it does for you but not for me Thomas eight days later did you hear that eight days later eight days of sulking eight days of moping eight days of being discouraged eight days of just walking around thinking well I tried I mean I gave him my best shot I mean I tried to work but then they fired me because you know I was texting all the time I don't know Maybe this, maybe this work thing is not really for me, right? Really, eight days. Eight days. How long does it take you to follow Jesus? Eight years? What does it take you, eight relationships gone bad, to realize that the relationship that you have out here is not going to satisfy your heart? What does it take you? Does it take eight attempts to build your own kingdom, only for those to fail, to realize you need to build God's kingdom? What does it take you? Does it take, does it take eight days sort of like Jesus says to Thomas, eight days you waited, eight days you were critical, eight days you just stood by, eight minutes, eight years, eight months, eight heartaches, eight whatever. And finally, Thomas comes to the point of realizing this is the best moment in all of history. And he says, comes in. Now listen, he's in the house that was locked. And while all the disciples are there, he pulls out Thomas. As if you were in a big crowd and Jesus just says to you, Thomas, come here. I need to talk with you. And you're like, oh gosh. Thomas, come here. Jack, come here. John, Nancy, Patrick, you, come here. Thomas, come here. And he says, put your finger here. See my hand? Put your hand in the place on my side. Don't disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. 
As if he says to Thomas, listen, I don't want you to take anybody else's word for it that I rose from the dead. I want you to see my wounds. I want you to personally encounter the resurrection from the dead. I don't want you coming into church and taking the pastor's word for it. I don't want you taking an invitation just because you came by a coworker or a family member or you're a neighbor and you're thinking you're gonna take his view of Christianity. Don't take his, have your own personal account. But the thing is, you have to let God into the deep accesses and the recesses in which you've locked up. Every area of your life that you locked up, you made it all about you. And when you make it about you, it dies. And there's so many areas of your life, maybe it's your schedule, maybe it's your heart, maybe it's your mind, maybe it's your past, maybe it's all the pain that you just stored up, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your outlook for the future that just looks not hopeful. And you just lock it up, you lock it up, you lock it up. You never give God access to it. And you keep doing that and those areas that you don't give God access are gonna die. But when you get God access to the dead places, he brings you back from the dead. He breathes new life and gives you the Holy Spirit. He breathes life into dry bones. One of the greatest discoveries that we can ever make is that we are dead without God. Whatever place that we don't give God access is dead. We walk around realizing our work, our marriage, our kids, what we interact with and all the other relationships. If God's not in the middle of it, if we're not seeking first the kingdom of God, It's just on life support. And that's what he wants Thomas to realize. Experience me personally, Thomas. I want you to come close. Don't disbelieve, believe. What access, can I just ask you that? What what place in your life have you locked up and not given God full access to it? Because Romans 8 says, that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he gives life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So let me ask you, Jesus wants to take this invitation and give it to you. Will you? Will you let God in to all places Every single area of your life, will you give him access so the spirit of God can come in and bring dead things back to life? Will you, will you fully engage to say, God, this is your life. You bought me with the price. I wanna be led and I wanna be fully filled up with you and see what you can do as the center of my life.